0: Thank you for listening to this message from Shepherds Gate Church in Shelby Township, Michigan. To learn more about Shepherds Gate and to access more content, go to sgatechurch.org. In week six of our sermon series on the book of Genesis, where we have been going through word by word, verse by verse, and just reading and seeing what it is that God has for us today. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, if you're new to Christianity, we're so glad that you're here. This is the perfect place to be. Even if maybe you don't believe what we believe, or think the way that we think, or even completely understand all of this, we're just glad that you are allowing us to be on the journey with you. And so if you do have any questions, you want to engage in further conversation, please don't hesitate to reach out to any of us. I also want to let you know that we are in the process of kind of moving our gathering area over here on the west. So on Sunday mornings, we're going to be encouraging people to hang out over on this side of the church. So I'll be over there after the service. If any of you want to connect and talk, especially if you're a guest, I would just love to thank you for being here today. And so the way that we do this here at Shepherd's Gate is there's actually Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you want to grab one of the Bibles, we're going to be on Genesis chapter 3. If you brought your own Bible, even better, you can open to Genesis chapter 3. If you're watching online, just go ahead and click the Bible tab, type in Genesis 3, and you can follow along with us. Now, as you're turning there, as you're preparing for us to read Genesis chapter 3, I want you to think for a moment everything that we have been through in just the last eight days. I want you to think about this. Some of you, how many of you had a crazy week the last eight days? Go ahead, look at the hands. How many of you know our world has had a crazy week? It started after we left Sunday morning church last week because Sunday afternoon into the evening there was something called the Grammys. Anybody familiar with the Grammys? Did any of you watch the Grammys? No hands are going up. Okay, there's at least one honest person here this morning. Thank you. I see that hand. The Grammys. Do you know what also happened this week? There was the State of the Union address by our president. Do you know what else happened this week? There were foreign objects in the sky that our military had to shoot down, and we're not even sure what all of those objects are and what they mean for us and our safety. It's a little wonky, isn't it? It's a little weird. Do you know what else unfortunately happened this last eight days? Is that an earthquake ripped through Turkey and Syria and there are thousands of people, innocent people, that have lost their lives. And I believe now the death toll is approaching 40,000 people and they're saying this number may double as they continue to unearth and navigate the devastation that has taken place close to a hundred thousand people that are in a hospital and they're trying to figure out how to care for all of these people can we just maybe pause for a moment and recognize that the world is not okay it's kind of messed up it's kind of sad kind of stinks sometimes when we really just pull back from it all and go what's going on God, where are you? Do you exist? Why are there all these hardships in the world? Or for those of you that had a rough week, why is there so much hardship in your life or in your marriage or in your family? Well, here's what I believe today. I believe that Genesis chapter 3 is going to give you the answer. In fact, it is the answer because it's God's truth, and I know that it's going to speak to every single one of us this morning. But before we get into Genesis chapter 3, I want to start where we left off last week, which is Genesis 2.24. It says this. It's on the screens. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become? Marriage. And the man and his wife were both what? Beautiful, isn't it? And they were? So here we are in the creation account, first two chapters. Adam and Eve have been created very uniquely. Adam having dust breathed into his nostrils, becoming a human being, and God taking a rib of Adam and making woman. And you can just tell how beautiful both of those accounts are created in the image of God. And they're enjoying everything that God has created for them. And we know it's great because God said, this is good. Everything is very good, as a matter of fact. And I've put them in this garden. I've put them in this garden for a purpose and a plan. Now, when was the last time you were naked and didn't feel ashamed? Right? Do any of you walk around your house and just go, I don't feel any shame? <laughs> and then you walk by the mirror. <laughs> and you go, Yikes. Why do you have that feeling? Think about it. Why do most of us not want to be naked? Genesis 3 will tell you. It starts this way, starting in the beginning. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Well, who is the serpent? Revelation 12.9 actually tells us the great dragon, which is what he's also referred to, was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world what? And why does he do that? What is his purpose? What is his plan? What is his mission? What did Jesus tell us? To kill, to steal, and to destroy us. And yet we live in a day and age when people like to toy with the devil. They like to entertain the devil. They think it's cute to mimic the devil and to poke at the devil and to think, ah, it's not that big of a deal, and this isn't really true, and this isn't really what took place. In Genesis 3, it's just a fairy tale. It's just a fable. It's just a history book. And we would say, no, 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 no. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is what actually tells us the events of human history and how all of us got here and what it is that we're doing to this day. And so as you can see, it says he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. A third of the angels fell with him. And so now the second half of verse 1 says this. He says to the woman, so the devil is talking to the woman, did God actually say blank? And you know we've been looking at this verse all throughout Genesis. Did God actually say blank? And why have we been doing that? Because the first temptation the devil used with Adam and Eve was to doubt God's word. And do you realize that it is absolutely 100% no different in our day and age? The devil uses the same exact tactic. And he puts it into your head, he puts it into your kid's head and into your grandkids' heads that the Bible cannot be trusted that the Bible is just an ancient, historical, old people book, and it's outdated and it's antiquated, and it doesn't really contain the truth, and this isn't really how any of us should model our lives. We should progress with the times. We should become progressive Christians, which there's a whole movement about that, and we need to kind of soften some of the scriptures that don't seem to fit the narrative that maybe we want it to fit. And now here we are in 2023, scratching our heads going, wait, 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 time out. All throughout human history, and particularly the last 2,000 years, the church over and over again has fought this idea that has crept into the church that the Bible somehow is now not the actual word of God. That somehow it is for us to then manipulate and distort or it's for us to redefine. And what's sad is that we're seeing unfold even at a more precedented level in our time. Entire denominations, think of this, huge mainline denominations that are walking away from the truth of God's word. And it's sad. We need to pray against this because we recognize this as the tactic of the devil. We realize that this is the darkness that is before us. And don't think for a minute that the devil isn't after us and our church. Don't think for a moment that that he's not going to start revving up the tax of the churches that do preach the true word of God and try to bring dissension into churches and cause division. Well, all the way back in the garden, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, this is what the devil says to the woman. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Are you sure that God said that? Were you distracted? Did you have something else on your mind? Are you sure that's exactly how he said it? I mean, why would he say that? Why would he limit you in all that he created? Why would he tell you there's this one tree that you can't eat? Well, let's go look and see what God said. You can find it in verse, or in chapter two. It says, the Lord God took the man. He puts him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Remember, he gave him dominion over everything. He let him name all the animals Here Adam is, he's at peace with all the animals, even the kitty cats like him. I mean, this is incredible, right? I mean, he's just living the dream, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Hey, Adam, by the way, you have 99.9% of everything that I have created. Dude, you get to walk around naked. (laughs) You never have to do laundry. Come on. Come on, those of you that do laundry in here, amen, imagine that. Thanks, Adam. All of this, one tree, stay away from it. One temptation, don't go toward it. Look at how the woman responds to Satan. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the tree's or uh, of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. So she knows this. And now watch what she does. She says, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did you notice what she did in that verse? She added to God's commands. God gave them the boundaries, God gave them the parameters, and here she comes along and even adds to what God had actually instructed them to do. Now it's interesting because theologians debate why this took place. Some think it was because of the man, told her, he's like, listen, whatever you do, do not eat from this tree. In fact, don't even look at it, don't even touch it, don't even go near it. We honestly don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of debate on it, but for whatever reason, isn't that interesting that there's times when God gives us laws or he gives us commands because they're for our good, not because he's trying to torture us, not because he's trying to make our lives miserable. He's the one that knows what's best for us. And sometimes there's moments in our lives when God gives us parameters, and there may be times when we need to actually put other parameters in our lives, like what we talked about last week and how, how prevalent pornography is in our society. And maybe some of us, we need to put things like apps on our phones, or we need to get accountability partners, or there's things that we've allowed to seep into our lives, sexual sins, and so we realize that we need to put more boundaries and more ways to protect ourselves because we don't want to keep falling into the same sins over and over again. Does that make sense? But of course, the serpent says to the woman, You're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. So what's he doing here? Lying to her again. And he's saying God didn't really say that. In fact, even if he did, he didn't actually really mean it. He won't actually follow through with that. You don't actually have to believe the promises of God. Trust me, I know God more than you. And I know his nature, I know his character, and come on, this is just, trust me, this this isn't actually going to happen. And so here the woman is. She sees that the tree was good for food. She's being lured in, the temptation is coming. It's a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desired to make one wise. So she takes of its fruit and she eats it. And she gives some to her husband, and what does he do as well? He eats it, and in one moment, in one act, in one sin, all of a sudden, our entire world is completely turned upside down. It says in the text that the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves clothes. and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what do they do? They rush off and they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God Almighty among the trees of the garden. So why did they cover themselves and hide? What was the first raw human emotion that they experienced? in that moment. Shame, you guys got it, just like the nine o'clock. Shame. Isn't that amazing that when you and I sin, and even when we know that it's wrong, and yet we're being enticed because we can see it and we believe the lie, but yet our bodies or our minds want it so bad That as soon as we cross over that line, as soon as we allow that to have a foothold in our life, what's the first human emotion that we experience? Shame. Because that was never God's design for us in the first place. Here's the amazing part. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. We talked about this last week. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And part of what the Holy Spirit does for us is he's the one who convicts us of our sins. And the reason that this is part of his role is because he's the one that doesn't want us to carry around our shame and our sin. He's the one that brings us to the foot of the cross and reminds us what Christ has done for us and encourages us to get this garbage out of our lives. He's constantly trying to restore us to the way things used to be in the garden. That's the incredible work that the Godhead does on our behalf. But I want you to think for a moment about this day. I want you to think about the moment that sin entered the world because all that is wrong in the world All the evil, the immorality, the decay, the failure, the disappointment, the weakness, the sadness, the sorrow, the pain, the disillusionment, the trouble, the discomfort, the remorse, the regret, the conflict, the hate, the jealousy, the envy, the bitterness, the vengeance, the fear, the crime, the selflessness, confusion, lies, deception, error, intimidation, manipulation, deviation, distortion, anything that you can possibly think of that is wrong with this world is because of Genesis chapter 3. And so, when you maybe look at your family, and your family's at odds with each other, and people are holding on to unforgiveness, words have been said, shots have been fired. Do you know what's a result of this original sin? When you look at the devastation that took place in Turkey and Syria, and as. Difficult as that is, and sometimes our minds want to say, you know, question and doubt, well, is there really a God, and why would a loving God allow something like this? You know what the answer is? Genesis chapter 3. When we see injustices all around, and there's confusion, and there's chaos, and there's just things that happen, and lives that are being torn apart, and just things that make absolutely no sense to us, do you know what that's a result of? Genesis chapter 3. And so when you're talking to friends or coworkers or people and maybe they're not church people or maybe they don't have a relationship with the Lord and they're struggling because they can see the darkness around them, you have the answer. You know why the world is dark. You know why the world is in decay. You know that the world's actually never going to get better because that's what Jesus said. Jesus told the disciples when he gathered them together and he gathered them together because they were actually asking him about what's going to happen in the last days. And he was the one that says, it's going to get worse. That there's going to be more hardships. That there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Oh, by the way, you remember that? Something about Putin gathering 100,000 more troops, getting ready to do another whole front into Ukraine. Wars and rumors of wars. And oh, by the way, part of that, Jesus said, that there would be earthquakes. And he even said this, that that would just be the start. That would be the start of birth pains. See, folks, there's a reason we're doing Genesis, and there's a reason some of you are saying, well, Tim, why are you preaching the way that you are starting this year? And here's why. We are in a critical time, church. Things are getting shook up here in America, and things are getting shook up in the world. And guess what? We have to prepare ourselves. COVID was the start of this. COVID kind of shook up the church. COVID kind of shook some people's faith and made people wonder, Well, am I in or am I out? Do I really believe in God or am I going to walk away? Is this really even something I should do on Sunday mornings? Am I going to participate or am I just going to walk away and circle the wagon to protect myself and just do what I want with my time here on this earth? And do you know that's exactly what the devil wants you to do? He wants you to stop going to church. He wants you to put everything else as a priority over him. He wants you to get addicted to your cell phone and get addicted to watching streaming television and watching these shows and going through all of the things that the world throws at us. Because the tactics of the devil, listen to me, they never ever change. They just come in different forms. Now, I asked you at the beginning, how many of you watched the Grammys on Sunday night? I did not watch the Grammys on Sunday night, I had a coworker on Monday say, hey, did you watch the Grammys last night? And my response was, what are the Grammys? Okay. (laughs) I honestly didn't know the difference between the Grammys and the Emmys. So I'm like, what do the Grammys do? Okay, music. Okay, remember, I don't like going to concerts, I don't really follow, you know, music that well, it's just not my thing. And so I'm like, what happened? He's like, you need to go online, you need to be aware of what are, this is what he said, and I remember this, because he's got, he's got teenagers that are about to become young adults. He said, this is what our teenagers and our young adults and our kids are watching, and this is what's influencing them. So the next thing you know, I'm on YouTube, and I'm watching a video of this gentleman right here, whose name is Sam Smith, who decided that he was going to sing a song called Unholy, and that it would be cute to dress up as the devil, and it would be cute to to turn the stage red, okay, make it look like hell, and this is just one picture. There was this whole scene of people in cages and doing all sorts of weird things, and but this is entertainment, right? This, This is supposed to be funny. This is supposed to be okay, and so Our kids are supposed to just laugh this off, and our teenagers and our young adults and those that are in college. This is just just all part of the entertainment industry. Why should we expect anything different? And then I went on Twitter. And I was like, well, let me check this out on Twitter because there's, you know, you heard the rumor. There's a couple opinionated people on Twitter. (laughs) And I began to watch as people just ripped on Christians. Oh, this is going to make the Christians upset. Oh, they're all going to you know, email and call the FTC. Oh, they're going to demand this and this and this and this and this. And then I realized that he didn't sing this song alone. He sang this song with a lady named Kim Petras. How many of you are, are familiar with Kim Petras? I knew absolutely nothing about her, but I began to research her because that's what I do. And I found out that she was actually born and raised in Germany. In fact, what appears to be a woman that is dressed like a woman, has hair like a woman, She was actually born a boy. And she was one of the first people to undergo transition surgery as a minor. In fact, she positioned the court in Germany when she was 14 because the law at the time was that you couldn't have transition surgery until you were 18. But going through a psychological evaluation, they deemed that she was conscious enough and able to make this decision on her own, so they allowed her to go through this transition surgery at the age of 16. And I'm sitting here reading this, going, "This can't be true." <coughs> I mean, I don't—I didn't even know this was a, what this is all about. And then all of a sudden, I found out that they won—they won an award for co-doing the best pop song or something. So it was the first transgender. And Sam here, he's non binary, or he's non-binary, so he goes by they, them. This is the first time that a non binary transgender co duo has ever won a Grammy. Folks, this is what our kids watch. This is what your grandkids are seeing and hearing. To think that this isn't somehow a manipulative tactic of the devil is crazy. And for the world to mock it, for the world to say, of course the Christians are going to have an issue with this, of course they're going to point out, because they can't handle it. They're afraid of the devil, and they're afraid to, to do this and that. Oh, it isn't it cute? He's, you know, he's got his hat off now, and he's just a normal guy. No, you know what these two people need? Jesus. We need to pray that somehow the gospel gets to them. And that they have a churn of heart and life and that they realize how precious they are because every person is created in the image of God, including Sam and Kim. Now again, I said this is no different than what's been going on for the generations. In fact, if you're a Gen X in here, could you raise your hand? I know there's not many of us. Go ahead, nice and high. Oh, more of you in here than there were at the nine. Okay, there's like five at nine, there's 10 in here, okay. Okay. Gen Xers. Who was the person that thought it was cute to dress up as the devil and to play these tactics and to try to win the hearts of our generation? Who remembers? Remember his name? Who said it? Where are you at? Say it, Dan. Marilyn Manson. You remember Marilyn Manson? Shave his head, shaved his eyebrows, put makeup on, did all sorts of crazy demonic things, and everyone thought, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> oh he's so innocent no he's under some type of demonic oppression and for those of you that are older you're like oh those gen xers those millennials and gen zers do you know who sam smith went to immediately after winning this award he went backstage where they do a side interview and he gets his picture taken do you know who was standing next to his side right after he received the award anybody know some of you boomers might know this name, and the rest of the generations, you'll know this name as well. Her name just happens to be Madonna. And she decided that she needs to go on tour again. So she's going to go on tour starting this year into 2024, a whole entire U.S. tour, and she's going to be all over the entire world, all of the major cities. Do any of you know how old Madonna is? Real old. <laughs> I want you to think about this. Madonna is 64 years old. She'll turn 65 this year. And I guarantee you this, on her tour, she's not going to let this younger generation upstage her. Her show will be full of so much vile and stupidity and demonic activity. She's already determined that her pre-show is going to be a drag queen who's going to go with her to every single one of those shows. And don't think for a minute that this is entertainment. Don't think that this is something that in the life of the believer should be entertainment. And folks, I'll tell you, because some of you are sad, you you can just see this angst in me, because I'm getting fed up, to be honest with you. I'm getting sick of what's being shoved down the throats of our kids. Today's Super Bowl Sunday, we should all be happy, right? Oh, can't wait. Chicken wings. Who doesn't like chicken wings? (laughs) Who's going to win? The cool part of the NFL is there's so many believers and the way that they take the, the field and they, knee, and they kneel down and they pray together. And isn't it funny that the, the news channels can't handle it, so they quickly move the cameras away, because God forbid they ever show you know, people that are Christians that are praying. And as you saw in the announcements, you saw that there's going to be videos that are placed today, that there's donors that have, that have actually donated millions and millions and millions of dollars so that the name of Jesus could go forth in a couple of the commercials today. And I guarantee you, get on... Here's the thing, those of you that have Twitter, get on later tonight or tomorrow morning, I guarantee you people would be like, why are they shoving that in our face? Who are they to, you know, put their platform on my Super Bowl and yada, yada, yada. That's the craziness of the world that we live in. Not only we re- you know, the, do we huddle around our television and we get together with friends and family and we, we have this big monumental day-to-day, do you also know the darkness that the Super Bowl brings? That today is the greatest day every single year in the US for human trafficking victims. So, in Phoenix, Arizona today, there are going to be innocent girls and women and boys and men as well that'll be sold into prostitution. That's the truth. That's the reality of the world we live in. Parents, these are the conversations that we need to have with our kids. And I know it's heartbreaking. I know. It's frustrating, but this is the doctrine that you have to impart to them. It's called original sin. It is a total corruption. It is not a partial corruption. It is not a fraction of a uh, corruption. It is a total corruption of our whole human nature that we receive from Adam, and oh, by the way, we received it from our parents as well, and it continues to be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Parents, your kids are learning this right now in the 1045 kids program. And they're actually being instructed on the way home to ask you to talk to them about this on the car ride home. And when you get home, that you would have this conversation at lunchtime. In fact, I told the kids volunteers, I said, could you just tell the kids that on their way home to thank their parents for giving them original sin." Because if that's what it takes to get the conversation started, then let's get the conversation started. And parents, this is what you take them back to. Psalm 51.5, that I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. By the way, this is why we baptize babies here at Shepherd's Gate. We are born into original sin. It's not some period of time that you wait from the time that you're born to the time that you sin when you're 8, 9, or 10, or you become 12 and all of a sudden now the whole world makes sense. No, we are all born into this state. It all goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Not only do we realize our fallen sinful state, not only do we realize the shame that we put in our hearts and our lives, we also think that we can hide our sins from God, don't we? I know last week was tough quiet in here for a lot of the sermon i mean there were some things that god was dealing with in the hearts of the people that call shepherd's gate home and i'm thankful that we have such a loving and gracious god that when we confess our sins he's faithful and just he forgives us of our sins he cleanses us from all unrighteousness but again it's been eight days and don't think for a moment that we haven't committed sins this week we may have committed the same sins that we committed the week before And we're going to have an opportunity to confess those sins again and receive God's grace and mercy again this morning. Because it's His kindness that leads us to forgiveness. But why do we think we can hide our sins from God? Who knows? You got shame, right? Why do we hide our sins from God? What's that other human fallen part of how we're wired? Thank you. Pride. We're prideful. We're prideful because we think, ah, this sin's not that big of a deal and it doesn't really matter and I've already committed it so many times and, you know, there's not really any consequences. I don't really see or feel any consequences. So maybe it's not that, maybe it's not that bad. Or maybe you just got so used to it and you've settled into it that you don't realize how much it is destroying you and how the devil is using that to just put you as a frog in a kettle to boil you until he comes and he comes along and he completely destroys your life. Do you know what pride is? Pride is this. It's just a mask for insecurity. Show me someone that's prideful. Show me someone that always is talking about themselves and always thinks that they're great and they got it all figured out and look at what I've done, look at what I've built, look at how I've managed this, look at blah, 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 blah. All, they just resume builders, right? They just, every time you're with them, all they do is talk about themselves, Do you know people that are like that are actually the most insecure people on the planet? They put themselves in the position of God. They don't need God. When you're a follower of Jesus, you realize how fallen and sinful and broken you really are. Folks, we're all messed up. Look around. This is a jacked-up church, just so you know. (laughs) And it's, it goes far beyond not answering your pastor's email and text message when he wants to come to your house and do a home visit, okay? You know this. You know there's sins in there. And you just put them in the closet. You, you put all the locks on. You'll confess all the other ones, but I, I just this one I like. This is a coping mechanism for me. This one makes me feel good. This helps me get through this crazy world that we're placed in. God says, no, no, I want that one too. And I have the key to all of those locks. And if you'll confess those, if you'll let me, I'll come in and I'll take that from you and I will give you healing and I will give you hope and I will give, a, give you a purpose and I will take that devil and I will kick him so far away from you he won't even know what hit him. Amen. We don't fear the devil as Christians. Absolutely not. You resist the devil. The Bible says he must flee from you. He must. He has no power over you. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He always gives you a way out. In fact, this is how Paul put it. Paul quoting Genesis, Paul validating Genesis says these words. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We all need God's grace. He goes on to say, Consequently, just as one sin, one moment of time, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in forgiveness and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of that one man Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man Jesus, the many will be made righteous. What is that one righteous act? The cross. When Jesus was told by God, guess what? They screwed it up. You're going to earth, you're going to be born a virgin. You're going you're gonna to walk the earth. You're going to experience and you're going to see and you're going to witness and you're going to feel everything that our creation sees and feels and experiences as a human being. You're going to be fully human. Oh, by the way, but you're also going to be fully God. But you're not going to screw it up. You're not going to sin. And they're going to take you captive and they're going to beat the living daylights out of you. They're going to put a crown on your head and they're going to mock you because you say that you're God because you're God. Then they're going to drag you out of the city streets and they're going to put you on a cross and you're going to bleed out as a human being. But worse than that, the sins of the world are going to be placed upon you and you're going to be tortured spiritually and emotionally because you love your creation. And in that moment when all of the sins that the mankind could ever commit or even dream to commit, when all of those have been placed on your shoulders, You are going to determine when the time has come and you're going to look at your Heavenly Father and you're going to say, it is finished. And in that moment, that relationship that was lost in the garden is going to be restored because God loves you and God has a purpose for you and God wants to bring us back to himself and give us his hope and his grace and his forgiveness. Amen? Amen. And so for you are here this morning, or you're watching online, or maybe you're watching Later On Demand, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you just are struggling, or you know that you've kind of walked away from God, or you've just kind of said you're done with God. Realize that he's calling you back to himself, that he loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you, and he is the only one that can offer you his grace and forgiveness. Amen? Because this is what Jesus told us to do when we pray. These are the words that he actually instructed the disciples that we still say to this day. It's found in the Lord's Prayer. It's these words that we would not be led into temptation, but that we would be delivered from evil. Think about that. That's what Jesus told us to pray. Who's leading us into temptation? The devil and our own sinful desires. Not God. God's not the one that's out there taunting us, trying to trip us up. And when we pray this, and today as we prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion, this is what I'm asking. At what's at stake with the next generation, that we not only pray these words over our own lives, but that we would pray these words over our kids, and our grandkids, and our nieces, and our nephews, and all of those that God has placed in our life. God, put a hedge of protection around them. Put your hedge of protection around their hearts and their minds. Help us to not model bad behavior or to watch things or listen to things or do stupid things that we shouldn't do. God, help us to point them to you, the only certain hope that they can have in a relationship with you. God, you are the great king. You are the Lord. You are the one we worship. You are the one that we seek. You are the one that we need. So, God, we humble ourselves before you. We bow to you, and we ask, God, for your strength, your purpose, and your plan in all of our lives. Amen. We hope this message was helpful to you. You are welcome to join us live, in person, or online every Sunday, or access more on-demand content at sgatechurch.org.